welcome everyone to this, another episode of Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. We're talking about EPS 10, 11 and 12 in this episode. We're going deep. So if you haven't seen those EPS, make sure you head to 10 Play. You can catch up on all the episodes of Australian Survivor from this season. You'll know exactly what we're talking about. A lot to get into. An amazing week once again of Australian Survivor. The tension keeps ratcheting it up in here to dive into the last few episodes. Once again, King George, also your reigning soul survivor, Haley, and our resident survivor expert, Shannon Gus, as well. Guys, welcome again to the show. Great to have you along. A lot to talk about. Wow, a big few episodes. We saw some shock surprises, some heartbreaking moments as well. From your perspective, what did you love? What caught your eye? George, why don't we start with you this week? I think this was my favourite week of all of them so far. And what really caught me was the real human emotion that's kind of interfacing with the gameplay right now. We saw the heartbreak when Princess Nina came out of that car in her moon boot and was medivaced. I felt Chrissy's pain when she lost Uncle Croc the person that was her kind of touchstone in the game and giving her guidance after the tribe swap. But for me, the moment of the week that made me really shed tears at home was when I saw Khan just burst into tears at tribal council. Survivor is a cutthroat game, but there is that human element. And the loyalty that Khan showed to Sam, true loyalty that's earned, that's not just spoken words, was really the touching moment of the week for me. Hayley, what about you? There were some great moments. Did anyone stand out in particular about how they played or something that you thought was something that really is going to be big in the coming weeks? Yeah, I um, really enjoyed the episode this week that felt to me to be all about risk. We had Jesse planning to throw the challenge, which is a very risky thing to do, and then that backfiring on him and suddenly the plan was on him. Then we had Croc leaking information to Ben and the desperate person getting information that is crucial. We saw the effect of what happens when you do that. So I really enjoyed that episode and all the drama that went down um, at that tribal council. Yeah, I also love that middle episode. I think that you could expect it. Obviously, Jesse and Chrissy expected just a revolving door moment for Ben. Same exact vote and send him home unanimously. But to watch the way that it kind of ping-ponged between um, it going then to Jesse and then coming back on Croc, I think just showed the risks that are involved with something like throwing a challenge and just thinking that the game is going to go a certain way, even without idols, even without it being something that's kind of changed by a mechanism or a twist. That's just pure strategy and chaos that you can't really plan for all the time. So I thought that was a really interesting episode. Yeah, massive week. Some great moments. We'll get into them all. But let's start talking about the challenges this week. We just saw in that ep, ep 12. Pretty brutal challenge. Obviously, it was a test of endurance and your ability to handle pain. It reminded me a little bit about your final immunity challenge, Haley. Talk us through what you were feeling as you watched that challenge, standing on pegs, you know, strangers to that. How difficult is that? And what's going through your mind as you enter, you know, the deep stages of something like that? Yeah, there was a lot of uh, deja vu watching that challenge. The pegs they were standing on looked really small, very similar to what we had to stand on in our final challenge, but they had to balance as well. So we got to put some weight through our hands and offload a little bit of that weight going through our legs. They had no way to do that. 
and they had to keep using their core to try to hold their um, hands in place. That challenge looked in many ways harder. They lasted an hour-ish. And yeah, I felt really badly for them, especially watching Sam step off that at the end. She was really in a lot of pain. It's a tough one. But then you see Khan when he steps off, he just steps off and walks away. So it's interesting to say, see the way that different people experience that. And I'm sure that there's a lot that goes into that. My exit was a little bit similar to when um, Khan stepped off. I just was, I managed to just step off. I wasn't feeling as much pain as the others who were, as Flick um, was at the very end of our challenge. But that's because pain is so complex and there's so many things that feed into that. It depends on the strategy that people are using in a challenge. If they're allowed to and able to wiggle their feet back and forth, that's really good. Um, if they can go up and down on their toes, I think you might have seen Shay doing that, going up on the balls of her feet and back down. So like, moving the feet around is really important. I remember hearing Mark saying that to Sam, keep moving. He said that in a challenge previously as well. That's really crucial. So if you're ever in a survivor challenge that has got you standing still, make sure you are moving as much as you can as long as you can hold that balance. George, when you were watching that and you saw just how easily, well, apparently easily, Shay did that, if you're one of her competitors, are you immediately thinking, this girl has got to go. She is a massive problem. Well, when I was watching that challenge, I, um, I actually started crying. I felt the pain that Jesse felt when he collapsed off. I felt the pain that... Sam had, when she felt off, everyone's got a different kind of body type and we all push ourselves to our physical extreme. And then I thought back when I was holding on for four hours and 50 minutes and then my entire upper body went numb and you just can't hold on anymore. And it's, it's just emotionally devastating when you give it your all and you don't win. And when you have someone like Shay there, just stand there so easily, it puts a huge, enormous target on her back. And I'd be telling myself this if I was one of her tribe mates. We're about to merge next week. She's clearly got that Haley style physique where she's just good at everything. Maybe it's time to get rid of her before it's too late. Shannon, there's probably no one on earth has watched more Survivor than you have. When you think about people who are physical threats, how do they sort of manage that ability to exert themselves and make sure they look after their own skin and not emerge as just a massive, massive threat for other players. Obviously, Shay had to win immunity there. Her neck was probably on the line. But how do you manage that balance as a player in this game? Yeah, it's really hard because you can say, well, just throw the challenge, but then someone like Shay is probably going home if you aren't contributing as much in challenges. And that can be difficult in the early game as well. And I think for someone like Shay, her threat level is so self-evident. I mean, I think that was the reason she was my winner pick even from the preview and just seeing her enormous strength and how I don't know if she will lose an endurance challenge down the stretch. So I think it's a hard one. It's really, really hard, specifically in Australian Survivor, which is so long. So these threats just have so much time to be taken out. And that's why it can be really, really hard for these threatening players to win. But I think it's all about kind of other things you bring to the game. Someone like David, who had a really good group around him who were loyal. You can use meat shields, for example. And, and Haley can attest to the fact that, you know, it's about using the mechanisms in the game sometime and then those connections and just strategically outplaying people because it can be an extremely hard run when you have that threat level to your name. I think it's not just a case about threat with Shay. So She's clearly on the bottom of her tribe. We heard Mark say that she would have been the target had she not won that immunity challenge. When you're on the bottom, winning immunity is an opportunity and Shay has used that to her advantage very, very well. 
but that luxury isn't always there. It's much, much harder to survive in this game when you don't just have the luxury of picking that cherry off top because you're a yoga instructor with super core strength. Yeah, I would say that Shay had no option. She had to do her very best to win. But if you are in a really tight alliance and you feel safe, it is an option that you can lower your threat level by not competing as hard in those challenges and not winning individual immunity so that um, you can try to give yourself a bit more um, time in the game. It's tough to do, especially if you're a competitor or a really competitive person and you just want to win. But it is a strategy we have seen people use before in Survivor to try to lower their threat level. Yeah, and also, I guess, can you talk from your perspective in the game, George and Haley, that idea of some people who physically look like they are unbeatable or have some obvious strengths aren't always the people who have that incredible mental fortitude. Are there sometimes surprises in terms of who emerges as a bit of a challenge beast but doesn't look physically like they're going to be intimidating? Well, that's most definitely Shay, but can I just point out one thing? We literally have the tank that has not had a single target on his back in terms of Mark. He is a huge male physical specimen who is going to dominate challenges at the merge phase of the game. And he was vulnerable there. He could have copped the votes, but it looks like he's in such good control of his tribe in terms of social relationships like Haley and Shannon were touching on. And that's really what matters in Survivor. Yes, you can decrease your threat level at challenges or you can pull a rabbit out of the hat and just win immunity when you need to. But if you're in control of the game like Mark is, then all of it seems to happen at once. Shannon, what about the deal that Khan made with Sam? What did you make of that? And we've probably seen over the years here and overseas some deals made. Do you think it was the right decision? And how do you think that'll play out? I love this move from Khan. I thought it was really bold, really, really creative. He seemed to know the risks about it and still wanted to go with that plan. And what's really fun about him giving up individual immunity here is obviously when we've seen that in the past, it's been in the post-merge because that's when individual immunity is usually available. And it's been in that late post-merge and often it, you know, it hasn't gone well quite famously when that person has gone home. So it always is a risk and it'll be much talked about if you give up the sure thing of immunity and go home. What was so fun for me about this was it was in the pre-merge. So I feel like Khan really gave himself implicit immunity here because if Sam then comes back and either blindsides him or even makes him flush his idol, I think that looks really, really callous when you have so much game left to play. Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks where you might not look like an approachable ally who just did something so harsh to someone who gave you immunity. So it was a little bit transparent, I thought, in building that relationship, but he does get that social capital. I think he does give himself implicit immunity. There's also the possibility of a twist with both tribes going to tribal council. And if he's reading something really, really dicey happening, he still does have his idol he can play. So I think he protected really well on that plan. And I think it was just really creative and fun. So I love the move. I think it speaks volumes to the relationships out there. We see so much through the TV, but um, you can tell there must be a really strong relationship that Khan and Sam are having towards each other for um, Khan to feel strong enough to make that kind of risky move. I was getting kind of flashbacks to a moment when we were at final eight challenge and I was asked to take my hands off a rope and speed up the challenge, which was risking it for me. But because the people standing at the end, there was four of us left in the challenge, felt really tight and um, they assumed that we would be together. And so that was a challenge that Emmett lost and then I ended up voting out of it that night. So it is a risky thing to do. 
but it means in this situation, Khan has clearly read his relationships correctly and made the right move for himself. I also had a flashback with Khan because that just took me right back to that tribal council when Kara literally self-sacrificed herself and put her own game at risk for no reason other than from this inner sense of like moral obligation, that's what they wanted to do. And we've spoken a lot about morals and what is right and what is wrong over many seasons of Australian Survivor, but particularly in the past two weeks with what happened with Sophie. But it's all well and good to say something, but it's a very different thing to actually do it. Khan put his entire game at risk. He could have been stabbed in the back, but he made a character decision. It was a test of his character and he passed it in flying colours. What the interesting thing for me is, is the currency that Khan will buy for the final four weeks of the game with that move. You know Khan's word has value and that is incredibly important now that we're at the merge phase of the game. It's so interesting to me, George, that you say it was a, like a moral test, like a personal test. And then you talk about the currency that he's accumulated through that. For me, I feel like those things are 99% of the time uh, inextricably linked. And it's hard to be like, was this like a person move for Khan? And clearly that relationship is very real. But for me, I was just pointing to the fact that he probably protects his idol even more with this bold gesture. And I think that he had implicit immunity and he kind of gets that social capital. Like for me, it's on a very game sense. Kara literally sacrificed herself and would have gone home if not saved by the twist. So for me, that was like rare and very personal. But for Khan, like I know he's always thinking. And for me, I just see it as like pure game pretty much for him. But in that pure game, I thought it was a great move. Let's talk a little bit about the Red Tribe. Obviously, it's a bit of a boys club emerging there and a pretty dominant one. I think KJ's sort of trying to skirt around the outside, become the Iron Lady, as it were. She's the president of the boys club, James. <laughs> yes. Well, someone needs to be. How do you see that alliance shaping up? That sometimes doesn't always end well for strong, powerful males, does it, guys? Well, as a strong, powerful male, maybe I can answer this question. <laughs> I think it's a fascinating dynamic in that voice club because you have very different roles for different people. You have Mark, who at all lengths is lowering his threat level, like Haley has talked about a lot over Talking Tribal, and he's doing it very well. You have Geordie the Joker, who seems to be onto Mark and he's watching him like a hawk, which is fascinating to see as a viewer. But the one person that I'm looking at as someone that really is the conduit between the people in the voice club and without it, someone like KJ and even Mel, is Josh. Josh is someone as a pilot who's used to standing and sitting in autopilot until the moment he needs to shine and he takes control in the throttle. And that's what he seemed to do on that vote when he walked up to KJ at the tribe and he made the decision that she was the one that needed to stay. So yes, we do have a boys club. We do have different kind of roles in this club. And of course there's Juicy Dave, who we can't forget about. He could explode at any minute again, but it's, a, it's an alliance at this maintenance phase of the game that's doing what it needs to get done, which is just to get to the merch. And you see why that's so necessary for these guys, because Ben on the other side, who maybe in another world is kind of part of those boys, that boys club, if he was swapped to that tribe, um, he goes home, he gets voted out twice in this week. So it is a really dangerous time for like 
muscly guys. And even though, yes, there are different types of threats and Shay's probably the biggest threat out there and she's a, a target in and of itself, like that aesthetic threat level is always going to be there. So it's something that we call a meat shield strategy. Um, if you just have other really strong people around you, you might not suffer as much for being a physical threat. If you're someone like Ma, Jordan, Josh, Jordy, like they've all been physically really strong and you keep it around, you keep these shields in it. And it's a strategy that has definitely worked in the past. Yeah, I think this week, the mindset of a lot of these votes really is and should be what is going to happen at Merge. When I get to Merge, am I going to be safe and am I going to be in the numbers? So if you look at the boys club, it depends on who you are as to is that a good thing or not. If you are Mark, it's a good thing because you need to be surrounded, as Shannon said, by other um, strong dudes to, to stay protected. But if you're Josh and Jordan, the same thing is true. And if you're Jesse and um, Jordy, you're probably thinking the same way. We're pretty good physically, although they're not as beefy, they're still going to have some endurance and be threats from a different angle physically. So there's a lot of people and couples there that are going to be benefiting from these strong guys being there. What I would be thinking is if I am not that, why aren't I coming together to get rid of those boys or to try to break that up? Like it's not KJ's best interest. It's not in Shay's best interest. There's a lot of people who are sort of, on the bottom and not in that type group that um, aren't going to be benefiting um, from having them all together as pairs at Merge. But I think what's hard is that a lot of those people who aren't in the group don't have the power to change anything just by the way that the numbers are. And even people who aren't like beefy guys might have a connection to a really strong guy. Like someone like Sam, I was actually surprised that she was coming for Ben. I think it probably speaks to the power of her other connections. But to me, physically, Shay and Ben are such an analog for Sam and Mark. Like, it's just like this physical comparison. I would have thought that she would want Ben there as a shield for Mark, who's going to be now like easily the biggest guy at Merge. But he does have those other meat shields there. And I guess that just as always, and correctly so, she is backing her connections. But if we go back a week, Shannon, when we have the formation of Blood 2.0, we had an even gender split. Don't forget... We lost Nina and Sandra. It was 5-5. And the formation of this boys club happened because Shay ran off with the boys and decided to vote for them. So when she's telling us, oh, I needed to win this immunity, otherwise the boys club would have voted me out, you really have to question that tactical decision that she made a week ago to enable the boys club. I don't think Survivor is as simplistic as breaking down on gender lines Yes, it's happened for the first time, like Mark said, and hashtag, yeah, the boys, almost in Australian Survivor history. But we have a stage where they've banded together these strong physical assets that they are, and they're protecting each other. If anything, it's a protection racket. Yeah, I mean, I think that the two things that were always discussed was the, the disparity between OG blood and OG water in that swap tribe and then what became like a gender divide. So definitely like maybe a misread there from someone like Shay who thinks she's kind of in with those OG water people. Um, but I think by the time she realized it was more gender than it was on tri- on old tribal lines, considering so much of that was pretty much the same. Like it's just Jordan kind of coming along with his cousin, Mel in the end and Shay getting left out. So it kind of felt like it was going one way and then to completely to the boy's credit, it was going a completely different way and she was out of the numbers. But this is sometimes where a passive gameplay like we're seeing from Mel isn't particularly effective on Australian Survivor when you need to change the dynamic. You can put up the shield and be defensive all you like and hide under the shadows or in the grass. But sometimes you need to take out the sword and make an active decision to change something before it snowballs into this boys club that we've seen. 
when that tribe swap happened, Mel didn't particularly do much. KJ saw someone more vulnerable than her in Mel, and she made an active decision to call herself the president of the boys club. So well played to KJ here. She saw a dynamic unfolding. She put herself at the top of a pecking order ahead of Shay and Mel, but Shay made a tactical error and Mel really didn't see it coming. And we saw her get voted out and save herself in a fire challenge. Yeah, some huge physical threats still there in the game. Um, some massive beefcakes. I mean, that was obviously a big challenge for you, George, to be taken seriously as a strategist, a real human being, and not just seen as, you know, a piece of flesh. But you know when you read the room and you're an alpha male from start to finish, and that's what happened with me, James. <laughs> One of the moments that was probably the most emotional, not just of this week, but of the season so far, was Nina having to leave the game. A few tears were shed. She even said it herself. She'd much rather get blindsided than have to leave in the way she did. Shannon, talk to us about your emotions when you're watching that. Obviously, a lot of people were rooting for Nina. Yeah, I can't tell you how devastated I was. I mean, Princess Nina, it was such a joy to watch her. It was such an evolution of this global dynasty and survivor of Sandra's legacy. And we, we lost Sandra to that legacy in this season. But the promise of that was like what Nina could create. And she was doing so well. We were so invested in her story. We knew her relationships. We knew her plans. Uh, JLP says that she'll come back again and I'll absolutely hold him to that. But it is just a shame that that threat level has kind of been revealed through the season and that through no fault of her own, it's an injury that takes her out. So I think just a huge loss for the season. And for me personally, I mean, I was devastated to see her go. Nina was on absolute fire this season. And do you know what? We, we were lucky as an Australian audience to have her play our game. And I couldn't agree with you more, Shannon. JLP muttered those words. This isn't the last time we've seen Princess Nina on Australian Survivor. I hope she gets a golden ticket invitation on a future season because I'd like to see her play again. She was playing phenomenally well, and that is a player's worst fear, to be medevaced from an innocuous injury from a gruelling Australian Survivor challenge is the worst possible thing that can happen. Yeah, watching Nina climb up to start that challenge and hearing her say that something like, oh, this is really high or she was a bit fearful of it. Yep. And then to have that injury, it's devastating. I totally understand her reasoning that you'd rather be blindsided than going out like that because she was playing so well. She was just really finding the right groove, the best social relationships. She was orchestrating moves and, and she was managing her threat level. So it is devastating to see the princess of Australian Survivor now. Um, have to go out that way. And I echo everyone's sentiments. I really want to see her back. And then I, I feel from Nina from a human level as well. I mean, her strategy was a 10 out of 10, but she's an everyday person in terms of her kind of like physique. And that is kind of how I thought of my time in Australian Survivor. And I tell myself when I'm running up a hill, a nine kilometer run in 40 degree heat, I could pull a leg or trip over and break a leg. And when you have to jump off a 15 meter platform into a into shallow water, you, you do question it and you go, is this worth it? Am I going to risk a physical injury when I'm at the top of my game? I said no, but I don't think Nina could possibly have thought at the bottom of a mountain slide, her foot would clip the bottom and she'd shatter it to the point where there's a serious ankle injury that could be a permanent problem if she didn't leave the game to get it fixed. So 
I, I really do feel for Princess Nina because her game was absolutely outstanding. Uh, let's chat tribal councils. Obviously, we saw two of the big physical threats, Croc and Ben, leave the game. But it was Ep10 that saw another twist, throw a big spanner in the works for some people's gameplay. George, how do you sort of manage those things when you have an idea of what's going to happen at tribal and that's thrown out the window? Well, the answer is you have to hold the fort like Jesse did, like Sam did, and go through with the plan. The, the guarantee that you have is the person that is your target will get voted off if the plan comes to fruition. That's all that you can control out there as a player, and that's what you have to do. So I have no concern or critique. In fact, I have praise for Jesse pulling off the first blind side of Ben this week. And well done to him for doing it. It was the right decision to make at that point in time. And you can't, you know, you can't say, well, what if something happens in terms of a twist? You don't know that as a player. So the only thing that you can do is go through with your plan. Yeah, I agree. I think that when you're out there and you think a twist might be coming, uh, maybe you sense something could be up. What are you meant to do? Because you still don't know what that twist is going to be. And you can't predict it. Um, you can't assume because it happened in a previous season, it's going to happen again. So I think that that's completely right. If you have a plan in place and suddenly the other team is sitting there at your tribal council and they've got a scroll in their hand, you just go through with the plan. And as long as it's not you, you're going to hopefully be okay. See, I think there are tells that players should take from where at this point, like if another tribe is going to be there or if they have an advantage, I think it's a pretty easy tell that there will be a twist. And I know the twist can change people's strategy. And even in your season, I know that earn week, like that was a consideration for you in necessarily like how you would, would put that vote through. But I do think for Jesse and Sam, while it was more dicey than, for example, that first twist that saved Sophie because they didn't have a majority of loved ones on the other side, um, I still think that they can back themselves just socially to really rally and they do through the week even when it becomes troublesome for them they're just so locked in in, in the power of that group that it will always go pretty well for them but I've really um, enjoyed the non-alims in this season I think that they've worked best ever with the blood versus water theme that kind of adds some extra layers to it I mean whenever you're stealing someone to the other tribe which is a twist we've seen before here with some added layers um, there's, there's some things to think about like how can we kind of self-sabotage this other tribe maybe or how can we have physical strength should we bring someone as a sacrifice now multiply that by well do we want to put our loved ones in a dangerous position we're upsetting a tribe member who wants their loved one here like there are so many parts of that and i just think that the layers that blood versus water has worked with the twist in the season has probably made it my favorite way the production have approached the season of australian survivor maybe ever yeah it made for some really compelling decision making around how that was going to play out do you feel like it was the right decision i mean it felt quite natural on a lot of levels to bring over KJ. Do you think there was any other way to play that, George? I was screaming at them, take KJ, please take KJ. And do you know what? The boys club made the right decision. 100% it was the right thing to do. And I was just screaming at the TV, please take KJ. By leaving Ben there, he can do more damage to his game and he's easy fruit for the pickings. You can't foresee what Croc is going to do on episode 11 but they made the right call. Yeah, it seemed pretty obvious that they shouldn't really be taking Benny because the majority in that alliance is the boys and you want to make sure you're not giving more power to the minority. So in bringing Benny, they would have been giving Shay an extra number and she's in the minority over at that tribe. So really it kind of felt like a choice between KJ and Khan. 
And as you know, Mark said, Khan has an idol that complicates things a little bit. And KJ just seemed like an obvious choice seeing as they already had these bonds. Yeah, there's a moment there where Shay realises when they pick KJ that in essence they're leaving her boy out to dry and that he's toast. So, so many emotional <laughs> layers to the whole thing. It's a beautiful format in that sense this year. I've been loving watching that. Let's talk a little bit about throwing a challenge. Obviously, it worked in terms of Jesse's gameplay. It was hard to watch. I, I was feeling like um, it goes against the spirit of what the challenges are about. But in the end, you know, you have to serve your own game. What's the history of throwing challenges, Shannon? And what did you make of this particular move? It made sense for his game. Yeah, I mean, I think throwing challenges do get a bad rap because some people might say, like you said, it's against the spirit of the game. Although on that, I will say you have to win Survivor. You know, you're not going out there. You don't win money on just, sometimes you win a car, I guess, but you don't usually win on just winning that individual challenge. And as we've spoken about, um, even managing your individual threat level, there are always reasons to not necessarily win a challenge. But the history of throwing challenges, it happened in season three of US Survivor. So way back in the early 2000s, this was already an emergent strategy that the winner of that season, Ethan Zahn, implemented to save allies after the first ever swap on the other side. So we often see challenges thrown either to take out a threat like Ben or to save people on the other side maybe a loved one or um, in the event of a swap, some connections on the other side. And I honestly think it's never a sure thing as we see, but this should have been like one of the sure things he literally got like near, you know, pretty much unanimously voted out the night before. He didn't have an idol. There was a twist. So there probably won't be one now. Like bases were covered. And even so Jesse's name comes up and Chrissy, who's part of those conversations loses croc. So it should look good, you know, like I think that they, I understand why they felt that this was a solid thing, but I think it does show that baseline risk that you always take when you throw a challenge and it's just up to every player to see if a potential reward is, is worth that risk. Yeah, I'm pro throwing challenges if the situation is right. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it goes against the spirit of the game because as Shannon said, the spirit of the game is get the numbers and win the game. Um, it's not win the challenges. So I think there is a place for it. Um, it's always risky. Clearly, we saw here that risk come back. Jesse thankfully got through this well. His relationships are solid, and I think that's what he was banking on. But it was very touch and go there for a minute. So yeah, throw a challenge if it seems to be in your best interest, but know that you are putting yourself in the firing line in doing that. The interesting thing is the thought of throwing a challenge only tends to happen after tribe swap and before merge. And we saw in our season, Haley, your Braun tribe threw a challenge to make sure that Simon could get voted off. And my brains tribe threw a challenge to get Rachel voted off. And we did that for a very specific reason because you whispered to some of us at a reward challenge, save Rachel. And then her threat level just went through the roof. We can't let Rachel and Haley reunite at a merge. So I'm sure that's what was going through Jesse's mind. He's a perfect opportunity to make a strategic decision, lose this challenge. He wasn't particularly vulnerable. Yes, his name kind of was shopped around by Croc, but he turned that around very quickly when he sensed threat and good on him for doing so. But there's, there's always that kind of risk and reward. And I think in this case, the reward of getting rid of a player you don't want to see it merge outweighed the risk of yourself being personally vulnerable at tribal council. 
Yeah, and we do see a lot of it happening post-swap with those cross-tribal connections that means maybe someone on the other side, you want to protect them more or someone that you haven't played with as much is right there for the, for the pickings before a merge. But I will say like it does happen sometimes before even a swap. And ironically, the connection is for Sam Gash in 2017, like Henry was not trying at those challenges um, to the point where in the episode she goes home, it, it looks like he did throw that challenge because she put herself there as a threat level. Now she's working with the group to take out her target who was throwing a challenge. So it's interesting the way that the game evolves through that. Um, yeah, once the target of a challenge throw, we're now part of a group throwing a challenge to take out someone else. Let's move to Croc now, who was sitting pretty from all intents and purposes looking on the outside, but maybe he got a little bit carried away, a little bit too cocky. I mean, he had an idol. He had one of his loved ones by his side. He had a bit of control in the try. Where did it all go wrong for him, do you think, Hayley? It all went wrong for Croc here when he gave a desperate person key crucial information. When Croc told Benny that the vote was going to swap and he was going to move the vote onto Jesse. That was where it went wrong. Benny's got nothing to lose, right? Like Crook's already voted for him. He is um, out there to find his own way back into the majority and he's going to use whatever he can. Information is so important in this game. You really can't give it to someone who's desperate. I think that's really where the error was. It reminded me when um, we were back in Brain versus Brawn, and um, I wanted to make a move on Joey and vote him out, and I wanted all the numbers. But at that time, George was on the bottom of the tribe, and you can't tell someone early in the afternoon what the vote is going to be because they have time to turn it around, and why wouldn't they? So you either pass that information at tribal council when there's no time to blow it up anymore, or you find another way because, yeah, obviously just this didn't work for Croc. I think my read on Croc is right plan, incorrect execution. I think what we've seen in this week of Australian Survivor Blood versus Water is people in a majority alliance trying to split votes, but then telling targets of a split vote plan to vote in a certain way. And I'm reading this as some obsession to get votes on a target without realising that you only need enough to get somebody voted out at tribal council. Laura got voted out with one vote on Brains versus Brawn. And the only votes Croc needed to save his mate, Ben, were two, his and Chrissy's. Croc could have gone along with the original Ben plan, said absolutely nothing apart to Chrissy to vote for Ben at the real last minute at Tribal Council, like you said, Haley, when it's too late to change something. He could have played his idol, saved Ben, and then Jesse would have gotten voted out. There would have been ramifications for that, but that was a surefire, foolproof way of getting rid of Ben. The only real tactical error that Croc, I think, made from my perspective, and this is a really kind of like nitpicking comment, is he put a lot of faith in someone. And then I think he had a misread in terms of Ben's kind of priority in the game. All Ben talks about is Shay. The only person that Ben is going to do anything for is Shay. I think Croc personally invested in Ben and like Chrissy said, that's what cost him his merge game. 
Yeah, I think as well for Croc, it became a mixed strategy. I do understand he wasn't just trying to keep Ben around. He's also trying to form a new majority because he felt on the bottom of the majority. So I understand trying to get that like core group together rather than necessarily like an individual idol play. But I think what's hard is that he had been part of a plan. Wherever his vote went, it doesn't really matter. Like if Ben could have gone home, Ben, Ben was voted out and, and Croc was a part of that. So he's now coming and he was vocal about how he didn't want that to happen. But now that he's kind of coming to his senses about how much he wants to keep Ben, Ben doesn't see that loyalty there. It might even be more of a betrayal for a closer connection that didn't stop it last night than the people spearheading that. So I think that there was a mixed strategy in that. There wasn't the consistency between the votes. And for someone like Ben, you might look at it and think like, what are you doing? Like going back with this information, Croc's trying to save you, he's your lifeline. But if you are Ben, there's, there has been no loyalty to you and actually a little bit of chaos to take it away from the status quo when you've been the presumptive vote in the status quo, fracturing the numbers a lot, I think really can help. And had he not done that, he probably goes home anyway. As much as Croc is trying to take out Jesse, um, some numbers came back onto Ben. Had he not thrown out another name in Croc, there probably would have been a majority on him anyway for Sam and Jesse's vote. So throwing in those names, he could have possibly won on a plurality if he went back to Jesse and ended up getting the votes on Croc. So I think just cutting up the numbers when the numbers have been so against you worked really well for Ben and unfortunately for Croc um, it was just too little too late for that relationship with Ben. Shannon the only bit I disagree with you is I think the biggest tactical error in terms of the whole Ben Jesse Croc fiasco was actually Ben running back and telling Sam and Jesse the greatest asset that you have in the game of Survivor is an ally Ben had one in Croc and he had a plus one in Chrissy if if Ben was able to escape the noose at that point in time, which I think he would have if he just stayed loyal to Croc, he would not have been the target at the next vote and he would not have gone home. So I think Ben didn't value his allies and that's what ended up costing him his game. But I think he he would have gone home because, um, yeah, Jesse and Sam would have been voting for him and Khan and Chrissy ended up voting for him too. Like, I don't know how intentional he was with those numbers and how much he knew was happening and how many votes were against him. But I think it does show that his name stayed, you know, out of being the majority because there were those other names out there and because it was so fractured. And as much as Croc was trying to help him, and, and I do understand that relationship, it was a relationship that he, like Croc was willing to sacrifice the night before and he, he was clearly struggling with it and he didn't put the name down. But sometimes it's worse. Boston Rock famously said to coach, you're a little man because he wouldn't put the name down, but he still let the plan happen. Like sometimes that's worse, like to not have the backbone to even put the name down, but you're as much a part of it. So I, I don't know that there was that loyalty there as much as Ben would have liked. And I do think that had he not gone back to Sam and Jesse, like I think there's a strong chance that he's going home at that tribal council. Haley mentioned there that sometimes when you reveal your plan to someone makes a difference. If it's early in the afternoon, it gives them time to strategize and corral different votes. But is there also something in how you tell someone about the plan? I mean, Croc pitched the plan to Ben that it was his plan, that he wanted to flip the game on its head rather than just saying, We've heard the votes are on Jesse. Are there ways that you can massage the information to make sure that the blowback doesn't come to you? And was that an option for him here? Yeah, I think there are definitely ways you can construct your um, option for the plan so that the other person feels like they're either joining you equally in that if you're really crafty, you can make it look like it's them coming to that decision. But telling someone directly, do this, is pretty harsh and doesn't always work. 
We see earlier in the week when um, Jesse is trying to get a plan going um, to get Ben out, Jesse just tells Croc, this is where to vote. And Croc come back, comes back and says, I'm um, 30 something. I don't really like a 20 something year old telling me what to do. And I think that matters. So you have to approach each person in the way they want to be talked to. That's really important. So show them respect in, in the way that they, and so if it's an age thing, then show them respect in that way. And that might be suggesting something softly or coming at um, it in a way that benefits them. But yeah, the direct, this is what to do can backfire. See, I tend to look at it like this. Haley's right in what she says, but actions speak louder than words. And you have to look at the core intent and the core reasoning of why somebody wants to do something to really interpret whether there's a value in going along with that plan. So I've heard Haley speak um, before. Why did she trust me at the merge part of the game? It's because she believed that I wanted to help the brains and that was in all of our best interests. If I'm Khan sitting in the water, yes, you hear Croc come up with this abstract plan out of the blue to get rid of Jesse, but was that in Khan's best interest? Probably not at that part of the game. It might have been in two or three moves time, but not right then. I still think the only mistake that Croc did, it wasn't targeting Jesse. Jesse's clearly in control of this tribe with Sam. The mistake was the implementation. If he wanted to save Ben, he could have just played an idol for him and he could have voted for Jesse. And then we would have either had a 1-1 revote or a 2-1 vote if Chrissy was over the line. And then you could have dealt with the consequences the day after. Croc had the right idea. He just didn't execute it the best possible way. Let's talk about that tribal episode 12. So Ben is quite public about what's going on with Khan. Why do you think he took that approach, Shannon? He was just sort of in panic or he was just clutching at straws? What was the plan? No, I think this was part of the plan. It was actually driving me a little crazy the entire week where they're like, we're going to flush the idol and we'll put like a minority amount of votes on Khan and then make him feel comfortable. It's like Khan can get through that tribal council without playing his idol. Like that's not what flushing an idol is. So I think finally, maybe the tribe was onto the fact that like, no, we have to put an at least equal majority on the person with the idol and possibly spook them. So I think that that was part of Ben's plan. Um, it's something that Sandra did when she kind of spooked Amy at a tribal council. Ironically, it was Amy, but um, earlier in the season. So I think Ben really wanted Chrissy to go. That's been the rivalry. If it had been a 2-2 uh, and Khan doesn't play his idol, you kind of have to send him out with the idol to get rid of it. This way, if Khan plays it, the idol is gone, Khan can stay and Chrissy can go, which would have been what Ben would have wanted. So I definitely think it was part of his strategy. Speaking of Chrissy, we saw her obviously get quite emotional at Croc's departure. And even her speech brought out an emotional side of Khan. How do you think she's going to go in the game moving forward without her rock beside her? I think Chrissy um, is still going to play really well. She was clearly having her own ideas about the strategies she wanted to enact based on the game she wants to play that is heavily social and relationship-based. And it was conflicting with what Croc wanted to do. It's going to be tough emotionally for her. She's obviously still upset with Benny, who is now gone. Um, so maybe that's going to be all cleared up and she can continue to move forward with the strategy she has been using, which is solid relationships. I am just devastated that Chrissy's idol that she found was in Croc's pocket and now it's gone and she didn't hold on to that. So yeah, she would be a bit better off if she had her idol in her pocket. For someone like Chrissy, who is not an experienced Survivor fan, she's thrown herself into the deep end and boy, she's swimming very well. 
And like you said, Haley, at that previous episode, Chrissy made a conscious game decision to vote differently to crop. Chrissy isn't someone that's just there taking instructions, saying, yep, yep, yep. She's making determinations based on what she values in the game, which are her personal relationships. And there's nothing more important in the game of Survivor than relationships. She is a core Alliance member. She is twisting votes to her benefit, left, right, up, down. I think with Croc gone, yes, it took a big personal toll on her, but she's still very well placed to go deep into this game. Now, as we saw at the end of the last ep, it came down to a fire challenge. Now, when those two stepped up, Haley, be honest, who did you think was going to prevail? I actually thought that Melissa would be have a good chance because she's a really big Survivor fan. So there's no doubt in my mind that she has been practicing fire at home. I didn't necessarily think Benny was going to have that in the bag. I also sat through a fire challenge where it was two guys and one girl, everybody backed the guys and Danny came home with the win. So I'm not putting gender splits on fire anymore. I think that it really is anyone's game and well done for Mel for getting through that. But can I just say, Haley, as a point of interest, from my eye as a viewer, it looked like the survivor gods increased the height of the stream just to make sure nobody could break a fire challenge like Danny did last time. Yeah, so true. I was having um, Phoebe Timmons vibes when I was like, get up and block it with your top, like the wind, like do it. And then they both did it. So that was really cool. That was a phenomenally exciting fire challenge. Who knew who was going to win? I thought the most interesting thing was the amount of coaching that Mel was getting from both tribes. So it's very clear that even the red tribe were quite openly antagonistic to Ben staying in the game. And then, Hey, I think I celebrated when I saw Mel one, I'm glad that the underdog got there. Yeah. I mean, I, a large part of me did want Ben to stick around. Cause I just feel like him being unkillable two times in one week and they're just trying to take shots at him and it not working would have been a really fun storyline. But yeah, it took a lot. It took so much to get Ben out of the game this week. Two votes, a fire challenge, like they got it done. But man, like they worked hard for it. Yeah, if Ben had stayed, I would have felt so bad for Sam, especially in that like three times when she's trying to blindside someone that keeps being some sort of twist. But yeah, luckily not. I want to hear from you, George and Haley. very honestly, once you find out you've been selected to come on Survivor, what practical measures do you then put in place around fire making, fire building, learning the best ways to go about it? Well, James, we're at the start of 2022 and I still have never made fire once. I attempted it once at the Brains Camp. I attempted it once with my mates on New Year's Eve. And if you think that um, needing to make a fire is going to save you in terms of the strategic decisions that you're making, you're not doing the right preparation as far as I'm concerned. I totally disagree. Buy a flint the minute you know that you're going on the game and learn to make fire. I think you need every backup possible. If you've got your strategic prowess, awesome, great. But definitely, this is Survivor. Learn to make fire. I think that's super important. Even when I was in the game, when we were at Final Four, it was looking very dicey for me. I spent a lot of time doing strategic gameplay um, on the camp. Try on the camp, but then I spent a lot of the afternoon. You were furiously preparing, Haley. <laughs> pretty sure it was going to be a two-two, and I would be making fire. Thankfully, it wasn't, and the strategy came through. But if it didn't, I wanted to know how to make that fire. And on that afternoon, I was walking around talking to people because. If you have the ability to implement a plan, you never need to get to fire. But I do concede the point, Haley. I will be going to the uh, Flint shop 
down the road if there is one and I will start actively preparing just in case. Oh, look at you changing your tune. Don't need fire. Why do you need fire? You've got strategy. I'm buying a flint. Maybe a couple. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm shocked by that. But you still don't know how to build a fire, mate. You want to come back on the show? Now, we saw uh, Jesse, obviously, he led the charge against the vote against Ben this week. He's at the forefront of some alliances as well. Now, these two brothers look like they're going to come together. What does that look like from your perspective? They're going to be a bit of a problem for a lot of the other contestants, I think, when they get together. Great social game, quite strong physically. What do you think lies ahead, Hayley? I think when we get to merge, there's going to be some couples reuniting and it looks like a strong majority might form from that. We've got Mark and Sam that will come back together um, if we see Merge coming very soon. We have Jesse and his brother Geordie, who are tight with those two coming back together. Josh and his cousin Jordan. So those six seem tight. Um, plus they have other relationships, like they're tight with Khan, they're tight with Chrissy, they're tight with David. So that looks like it's going to be a strong majority and you definitely want to see if you can be in that majority or forming a larger minority of everybody else. Yeah, I'm definitely fascinated by that foursome of Jesse, Geordie, Sam and Mark who are connected to each other on the other tribes and have been such power players. I'm intrigued by the little divide between Geordie and Mark with the idol because it's not all smooth sailing and doesn't seem as close from Geordie's perspective as from Mark's and as Sam and Jesse are. So that's quite interesting to me. But I thought Jesse was really powerful this week. I know that some people might think it was a bit much. His name kind of gets out there. People aren't loving all the time being dictated to by the youngest person in the game. But I think when you're that young, you start at this deficit where people don't respect you as much inherently. We see it with someone maybe like Baden Gilbert who gets to the final two and doesn't get votes. We've seen it in the US as well. It can be quite hard when you're younger. So I think you have to like make big moves elevate your threat level to a degree, which Jesse obviously does, and kind of play out of your skin to a degree so that you can get to the end and really point back to more than other people might need just because you don't have necessarily the deference that they give to someone older. So yes, it was a lot. Uh, sometimes it got dicey, but he had the relationships to pull it all off. And I thought like really emerged even more so as a power player in this week. I don't particularly think that Jesse's being disrespected in the game. He's got a very tight alliance with Sam, which is clear. But Croc was spot on. You don't want Jesse and Geordie reuniting at Merge because neither of them have any bad blood on their hands and they're both generally well-liked and fit, which means they might go on immunity challenge wing. I think the real highlight for me was when Mark found the idol and Geordie knew. But if Mark really wanted to go into stealth SAS mode, I would have liked to have seen a pincer movement and him twisting the vote on Geordie and then the only person that knew about his idol and a real long game threat in the game could have been voted out. But Geordie and Jesse together, very, very dangerous. Yeah, I think I like that Jesse's leaning into this nickname of the kid because that can kind of lower your threat level a little bit if everyone's like, oh, he's the kid. And then you might have people who are more um, paternal being looking after you a little bit. So I think that can be useful as long as he's still got the gravitas to pull off these moves, which he clearly does. Well, like, look at how distraught Chrissy was at voting him out. Like, there definitely seemed to be that maternal connection there. So, yeah, I definitely think socially leaning into that, which he actively and very purposefully has done, and then kind of playing dangerously strategically. It's a fun little mix of, like, the shield and then really going all out in play style. So I definitely agree that Jesse and Geordie 
have a massive, massive threat as a pair. And it really is a testament to both of them that they both had so much control and not been in that much trouble um, before Emerge. And it's really just a testament to how powerful they are in their individual tribes. Just on the theme quickly, Haley, can you talk about when you're thinking about heading towards Merge and you're doing the numbers in your head, you think of people who you are pretty sure you have got. But with this dynamic, blood versus water, as you head towards Merge, there's always someone who you're absolutely certain that you have as an ally. How different is that? Yeah, that's really different. When you're going towards Merge, as you say, where you're trying to make sure you've got numbers when you get there but you can guess wrong. You can assume that you might have someone because they've voted with you before, but they don't feel like they have an allegiance or they have a better off sticking with someone else. Whereas here in Blood vs. Water, you can bank on the fact you're going to have your loved one and you can hope probably pretty likely that you might have their tight alliance members. So it's very different going into a merge with a Blood vs. Water. I'm really interested to see if the majority ends up being what I'm thinking it might be. I can see, as I said, those six who are really tight, but then who's going to be a part of that? Are we going to have David in that majority alliance? Is Chrissy and Khan going to be in the majority alliance? I'm interested to see where that kind of middle um, swing voters will, will lie. Yeah, the early part of the merge game is one of the most complex to navigate, and that's when you really need awareness in terms of reading how a vote's going to go and being able to shape it and mould it in a particular direction. So Haley's right, the dynamic that you have either on your original tribe or your tribe swap phase of the game, that doesn't particularly hold. And we saw on Brains versus Brawn that Flick and Danny and Chelsea ran straight back to the Brawn, but that's something that I predicted quite well and I was able to use as a pivot to get rid of unsuspecting targets. And what you'll see when we have the merge unfold next week is who is really at the top of this game, who really is in control, who is sneaking through the game using meat shields or going under the radar, and who's going to be the easy fruit for the picking. Each week on the show, we have a segment we like to call The World of Survivor with Shannon, where we explore an element of the show that needs a little bit more love, a bit of attention. This way, we're talking about immunity idols, and in particular, when you go home with one in your pocket, and we saw that happen this week, with Croc. Shannon, it's an awful moment. It must be when you have to go home with one in your pocket, but it's not something that uh, is that uncommon. Yeah, I think we're about to re-traumatize some past players who probably lie awake at night with their idol just cradling um, their <laughs> idol and what could have been. But yeah, this has been happening for a very long time. Idols as we know them to be were only introduced in season 14 and it was by season 15 that James Clement left with two idols in his pocket actually and that was the first time it happened. And that really just started a proud tradition across the franchises of people leaving with idols in their pocket. And I think that how that started in the US, it was a lot of these alpha male type of players it's diversified since then but it's kind of like the bravado and the strength and that kind of backing your own game that you can have and then unfortunately you back it too much you've left with an idol in your pocket and that has really proven true in Australian Survivor um, where you've had like I mean some of these big names Benji, Matt Rogers, Henry, uh, David Jennett even who've gone home at the Simon with two idols obviously these big alpha male players who have these big big falls and I think unfortunately Croc is now part of that pantheon of leaving with an idol in your pocket. You know what I say you cut a deal and you play the damn idol and you buy yourself another one to three days you don't have any benefit with leaving 
with an idol in your pocket. I mean, Croc had it. It was Chrissy's idol, but it was in his pocket. He got voted out and now the idol's gone, which is a shame for Croc because I really was enjoying his gameplay. A lot of these ex-footy players, they can be hit and miss, but I think Croc was a real hit. He's in that Matt Rogers style of ex-sportsman that had a good strategy, came to Australian Survivor, was willing to do things, and it just didn't go his way this time. I'm really sad that Croc has gone home with that idol because it was actually a secret idol. Yes, him and Chrissy knew about it, but they're a type pair. They're not going to tell anyone. Whereas everyone else kept finding out. Everyone knows Khan's got an idol. They knew David had one. But when we see that someone's got a private, secret, hidden immunity idol, like the name says it should be, then that lends itself to some really interesting gameplay where no one knows and suddenly it's played. So I understand why he wasn't playing and he didn't feel like he needed to but it's really a shame that he's gone with it. Often when we see these big players going with their idols, for example, when Simon went with his two idols, it was because we knew about it. And it, it means that, you know, if you're a big, strong guy and you have idols, especially two, you're really threatening. It would have been very different, I think, if it was only one idol for Simon. I should stop giggling every time we mention Simon going home with two idols, but I just can't help myself. <laughs> yeah, Simon. Yeah, it's funny for you, for him, you know. He hasn't slept a wink. He sleeps with them under his pillow. <laughs> uh, well, at least, um, you know, he's got some use for them. Now, tell us, Shannon, you know, you've watched every season of Survivor both here and abroad. Is there one particular contestant, one particular episode where you still think about that they went home with idols burning in their pockets? There's so many iconic moments. I mean, ironically, James Clement, who was the first one, that might have been the worst one because he had two idols and there was only three more tribal councils, including that to play the idol. So he was really like, he didn't have a lot of options with it. So I think going home with two idols, that stings obviously double. When thinking about someone going home with one idol, like I always go back to that really iconic Henry Blindside from Australian Survivor 2017. Like it was this precision of the move and it was raining and they had to kind of just give each other looks to blindside such a strong player. And look at how strong these players are. Future winner in David Jennett goes home with an idol. So it's, it's not really an indictment on you necessarily, maybe just credit to the blind side and including Haley of people who can pull that off. But it, it's definitely a painful one. And you see to blindside someone that well that they don't get any inkling to like maybe play the idol. Um, it, it's a struggle if it's in your pocket, just burning a hole there and to get sent home with it. I'm sure it must be just exceptionally painful. I think when you get that spidey sense that something's not right at tribal council, you just take the safety first approach and you play it. I know Croc will have those regrets. A lot of past survivor players have regrets. Um, even I have regrets, but we lost a good player. We lost an immunity idol and we have to move on. Yeah. I mean, can you talk to us a little bit about what Khan's going through when you've got one in your pocket, people know you've got it. And you have to make that decision. When am I going to play this? Am I safe? And risk not playing it just so you have it for another week. What's that like, Hayley? It is so impressive that Khan still has that public idol. The whole pathway of what he's done with this idol I have found impressive in that even when he first got it, he made a decision to tell everyone to make it less threatening, um, that he had something and seemed more trustworthy. So I think that he's actually doing a really good job. It's hard to emphasize how amazing it is to sit in an, a tribal council and every time feel like it could be me, it very well could be me, and still hold it back based on your assessment of what's happening and your, the conversations you've had. 
And even if um, you have votes the tribal before and then still not play at the next one, I'm really impressed with what he's doing. He's reading the room really well. He's trusting his relationships. Yeah, it's scary for him. And um, I think he's doing a great job. I mean, I guess the other side of it is you play your idol when it's completely unnecessary. It feels like it's much easier to sleep at night if you end up going down that path, surely, Shannon. Yeah, well, that's what they always say, like, better safe than sorry. If you lose an idol, you can always find another one. But it's, it's so easy to say from the couch. This might be the easiest thing to say from the couch. And Croc clearly had, like, no inkling to play it. And if you hold on to it, that can be really worthwhile and impressive. That's what we're saying about Khan. Like, wow, he held on to it. Um, and he has those good reads. We do often see, though, for players, you're like, wow, they held it week after week, amazing. And then they go home with it in their pocket, kind of negates some of the positive commentary that we've had about that player until that point, because maybe they were just holding onto it a little bit too tight. So I don't envy people with idols. I know that it's definitely a good thing in the game, but other than just the target, it's also just that like internal wrestle about kind of what's a worse fate. And it's something we've actually seen Khan even vocalize between wasting the idol, going home with the idol, the lack of trust that comes with that. So I think it's a definitely an interesting dilemma for anyone who has an idol. Was it uh, Maddie Rogers we saw who had an idol at one stage and actually would wear it into tribal week after week? He's like, come for me. Here it is. George did it as well. I mean, we've also seen Russell Hans go home with the idol around his neck. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a hard one. It's like that public idol should be implicit immunity or people will try to flush it. Yeah, really, really difficult. It really just depends on the situation, I think. George, what do you think is the best play for Khan here? Just to go along with the tribe and then use it discreetly a little bit further down the track? What do you think? If I were Khan, I would treat his hidden immunity idol like he kind of treated the immunity necklace that he won. He has used it as a bargaining tool to show his trust, to show his loyalty. He can strike a deal with it. I think what's more important is to ensure your longevity in the game with a mutual benefit for your allies. And if he can weaponize his idol for mutual gain and mutual benefit, that's what I think would be the best thing for his game now that we're about to merge. Obviously, a big moment from Australian Survivor this week was Nina going home, Princess Nina, sadly leaving due to injury. But right now, Hayley chats with her one-on-one. I'm really excited today because I get to interview someone who has come in with a legacy to fill and has delivered. She was strategic. She was socially savvy. She was strong. Princess Nina, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really, really well. So unfortunately, we we saw you leave Survivor with an injury. How are you going now? I'm good now. I've been doing some exercises and things like that. So I'm almost completely healed. But you know, you still got to be careful a little bit every now and then feel a little discomfort. But I just take care of it right then and there rather than, you know, prolonging it and not doing the exercises I'm supposed to. How did it feel to have to leave the game in the way that you had to go? I'm sure you could see it all over my face. Like it was super, super hard, you know, especially sitting in the car. When I rolled up, everybody was kind of like, okay, what's going on? Like, we're unsure. We're already new. You know, the likelihood of me coming back was very slim to none. So that was really hard, especially when Jonathan actually said himself, like, you know, sorry, we have to let you go. That moment, him saying it solidified it. And you can even see it, you know, the moment it happened, it hit me. And I was crying for probably about a week after that, but then, you know, came to terms with it, just appreciative of the opportunity in general. So I don't want to take, you know, this one accident, um, let it taint what I actually did. Um, I know that 
me alongside all of Australia saw it happen and we thought, please, 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 please let this just be like a small scratch. And when that moon boot came out of the car, we were devastated. So I'm so sad, um, along with everyone else, that you had to leave the game. Before you came into Australian Survivor, how familiar were you with the Australian version of Survivor? Not that familiar, just because we didn't really get it over here at all. And unless you had Paramount Plus, you didn't really watch it which I didn't have Paramount Plus at the time. And then, of course, you know, when they start talking about it, when you're being asked about it, you're kind of like, you know what, let me check this out because you don't want to assume it's the same because it's a different continent, you know, it's a different culture. So I definitely was like, let me check this out, see what I can find. And then when I started seeing challenges, I was like, okay, yeah, we're, we're a little different. And then culturally, you know, a lot of people uh, I noticed on the show really value competition. And they really value trustworthiness where, you know, in the States, it kind of, it's a gamble. Either you could trust them or you can't, but don't expect to trust anybody. So it's, I felt like it was a, a really good fit for me, to be honest with you, because I'm not super athletic. Like I'm not an athlete, but I can hold my own. And then I like the fact that they appreciate effort because I'm more than willing to put, you know, hundred percent into it where in the States kind of doesn't matter sometimes. You're, you obviously had some great advice coming from your mom, Sandra, the queen, about how to play and you'd watch her your whole life. In what ways are you different to your mom that you thought, I will play in a way that is different and, and is my own? Compared to my mom, she's a lot more blunt, but in the way that it can be taken not so nicely. Whereas I would rather introduce an idea you know, talk about it a little bit, really get your insight where she just, this is my plan and that's it. As many people know, there's something called the Sandra Bunch because she will sit out if she can, because in the States, when you lose whoever's first, whoever's last, it's your fault. Not that that's why she did it, but you know, for me, that's my thought where here or in Australia, it's value just to try. So I knew I was going to try no matter what, I was never going to sit out. Plus, you know, that's the whole point. You want to compete in challenges. You want to see what you can do when you're really pushed to the limits. So I think that's one thing where it was never on my mind, where for her, I'm sure it probably was, especially, you know, from previous seasons. So we have a different personality with similar actions and mannerisms, I'd say. If you were to have stayed in the game, who would you have voted for? It's hard to say that just because things can change so quickly. Was my eye on Mel? Yes. It was very hard to get some answers from her, no matter how many times I tried. And I wanted to trust her. At the beginning, you know, when we were on Blue, I did trust her. But the less we were able to communicate, the harder, you know how it is when you're out there, you get paranoid. So I'm like, oh God, she says trust her and I want to, but I can't actually talk to her. So as you can see, she was on my radar for sure. But again, you know, you never know what might happen because Shay's name came up you know, you have to consider all the options. I love that from the moment you started playing, you definitely took on that idea of um, don't go with a plan that doesn't benefit you. You know, that's, I feel like that's the phrase. And from that first Andy vote, you delivered in that way. And it was really, really fun to watch. The vote where your mum, Sandra, um, was voted out and you were sitting at Travel Council and she turns to look at you and she's trying to look you in the eye and say, do I have to worry? What was that like? What were you thinking in that moment? I was thinking, if she looks at me, I'm either going to cry or I'm just not going to know what to say. Because how do you tell somebody like, it's you, it's 100% you and you know it, especially your mom. And then she also can get 
as you can see her getting that feeling that she's going, she's like, okay, who cares? I'm saying whatever I want to say. And I really didn't want her to do that because I don't want to have to apologize for things that she said. So I didn't want to confirm it was her, even though we all really knew it, because I felt like she would then go overboard. And then, you know, the whole point is not to have to answer to anybody. And if she starts going guns a blazing, then I have to go back to Kim and be like, hey guys, by the way, I'm sorry. I know, you know, that's my mom. I got to take responsibility. So I didn't, I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, and everyone seemed very respectful of the fact that you wrote her name down. Like it makes sense. You have to stay in the majority. And she, I'm sure would, would have given you the freedom to do that. So you played a very, very strong strategic game from the get go, from that first vote against Andy that you pulled together. What were you the most proud of in your game? I was the most proud of my communication skills because I'm not the type to take over everything. I value being included. So my thing was, I want people to feel like they're included, that they're actually working with me. I don't want to come off as somebody who's just dominating because I don't like people who do that. So the fact that I was able to portray my strategy in an accurate way actually helped because there's times where people, you know, after the fact, they're like, oh my God, I thought I was coming off great. And everybody behind them is like, oh, this person is horrible. So the fact that people actually received my message, like I was trying to put it out there really feels good. Yeah, I could see that you weren't demanding that people do something specifically. You would be like, what do you think we should do? Oh, that's a great idea. I thought that was really, really subtle, cunning and very smart. Do you have a particular um, vote off that you were very proud happened? I would say Andy only because no relationships were solid yet. So the fact that it came together the way it did really felt good. And I know you could probably see it like, you know, Jonathan reading the votes. Yes. Oh my God. Like it's actually going this way without any relationships. Other than that, I would say I'm not like proud or anything about my mom going home, but the fact that I was considered makes me feel better because I wanted to be a valuable member of my group and I wanted to be a part of that alliance. Um, maybe not the head of the alliance, but you know, alliance. But the fact that people were actually like worried that I was going to be upset with them feels good. And the fact that I voted for my mom shows them and showed them that I really was with them. Like I said, I was. So who do you think is the biggest threat left in the game? And who do you think is going to take out the crown? Who I think is going to take the crown, I really don't know because anything can happen, but I'm going to be biased and say Josh and Shay. I'm hoping it's one of them because they were the ones I was closest to, um, especially, I mean, you can see me and Shay when we're hugging, like crying, super, super close with them. So my heart goes out with them. Strategically, I want to say Mark, just because of the last episode. Like he found that idol. He was really like, I'm not telling anybody, thank God, because so many people want to tell people about their idols and advantages. So I think he's a really big strategic threat because being out there, looking back, he really wasn't on my radar like he should have been. And you would think, oh, Mark's this big guy, you know, this and that. But he, he made me feel welcome. He made me feel valued. We connected, you know, one of the first days. So I would say he's one of the biggest threats because 
although he's so large, he's not that in charge and he's, you know, making sure of that. I know that Australia has just had a taste of Princess Nina and they loved it. So um, I'll say what they all want to know. Given the chance, will you play Australian Survivor again? A hundred percent. I wouldn't change that experience for anything. I know it's not going to be the same because it's not the same people. It's not the same game. Every season is different, but a hundred percent, I would do it all over again. Everyone is so happy to hear that. I'm stoked. I really want to see you out there again. Yeah, taken way too early. Um, and there is so much more for us to see. So how did it feel, Nina, getting to play the game that you had watched your mum play your entire life? It felt unreal, to be honest with you, because going out there, coming in the helicopter, I mean, I feel like I couldn't even breathe. I'm like, wow, this is about to start. Oh my God, I'm actually doing this. We played Surviving Christmas, Surviving Thanksgiving, but this is real. Like, oh my gosh. So it, it was a blessing. And the fact that it happened, And it still almost feels like a dream. Watching the episodes makes it feel real because it it just goes by so quick. So it was, oh my God, I'm so happy that I got the opportunity to do it. And did arriving on the helicopter at the start impact at all what you thought your starting game was going to be? Yes. Did it impact it as much? I don't think so. Mind you, you know, I'm not in everybody's head, but I don't think it mattered as much as I thought it was going to be because I'm thinking, One, I don't even know how we're coming in, you know, like, it's just, come on, you know, whatever. And I'm like, oh, you know, if we're coming this way, everybody's going to be like on a boat, on a horse. Like, I don't know what they're going to come in as, but then we come around and you just see everybody standing and I'm like, oh oh God, they're going to just be staring at me. Oh crap. And I was like, okay, you know what? I got my mom with me. No, don't stare at her. So it was, would I have chosen to come in that way? No. Was that my first helicopter ride? Yes. And I would not take it back. But I, I was super, super scared. I was like, oh, this is a target immediately. After watching your mum play for all these years, were you nervous to play alongside her? Were you happy to be on separate tribes? What did you feel about that whole thing? I was nervous to play alongside her. Thankfully, we were not, you know, initially together, which I thought was phenomenal because of how she is. She can be demanding in certain ways when she gets upset you know it she doesn't hide it to know that she's over there and I'm over here is phenomenal like I was so so happy because I could just be like all right I'll see her at a reward depending on you know who goes to tribal council and that's it and I'll leave it at that so when we got the tribe swap that we were together I was like oh god I didn't want this to happen like I wanted to stay as far away from her as long as possible So it probably makes um, Mark's decision make sense then to be apart from Sam. A hundred percent. Do you think that a blood versus water theme is harder than a theme where you come in without a a family member, a loved one? I do think it's harder in the sense of having to own your decision and having to deal with the repercussions of it because there's always somebody wanting to know what happened. I mean, we saw Khan's, you know, reaction when he saw Amy went home, but guess what? He didn't know why. He didn't know that she was starting to, you know, point fingers and do this and that. If he did, maybe he would have reacted differently. Look at how Dave reacted. Khan had to deal with that, you know? Whereas when you're individual, you don't really have to answer to anybody. Maybe your tribe mates, if you left them out of the decision, Uh, But that's about it. That's as far as it goes. You don't have to worry about, oh, now we merged. This was 10 votes ago. 
and I have to deal with this person, you know, it, it kind of goes away after a while. Nina, thank you so much for chatting me today. This has been awesome. Um, and yeah, I, I really hope we get to see you again. Um, it was so much fun. And thank you so much for playing Australian Survivor. Thank you. And it's nice meeting you too. <laughs> so good. Oh, Princess Nina, so sad to see her go. I know people were really rooting for her. And fingers crossed, yes, we will see her again on Australian Survivor. Must have been great to chat with her. Yeah, what an honour to talk to Princess Nina. She's obviously so insightful and we really need to see her back on our screens. Yeah, she uh, really has been a shining star, but there have been a lot of stars so far in this season, a lot of people who are emerging as definite real contenders. So I'm going to take this chance to pick your brains and get you to nominate who you think is going to be the sole survivor. George, who do you think is looking the goods? Who do you like? But if you could put your life on it, would get behind. It's like trying to choose between my children in terms of who's my favourite. I've got a couple of, if I was going to narrow it down to three, the first person that I think is looking quite well-placed in the game is KJ. KJ is someone that will not be an obvious vote once the tribes merge because she's not an on-paper threat at immunity challenges. And if you let KJ get to maybe a top five or a top six, she might be able to weave her magic like we've seen her eliminate her threat level with his boys club. So I think KJ is one to watch. I'm really excited by the potential that Sam Gash has been showing over the first half of the game. Sam has been in control of every vote from the moment she stood up at tribal council and gave an instruction on what to do with no notice. Everybody listened to her. So she's got a lot of social capital and I want to see on how she can capitalize that along with the fact that she's an endurance athlete with the kind of body type that does well at survivor endurance challenges. So I'm watching Sam quite closely. And the last one that I'll pick is Josh. Josh is someone again, that has been avoiding conflict. He's got positive relationships with people and he is a pilot that is used to jumping into action it's time to switch off autopilot. He'll grab the throttle and he'll land and hopefully get that smooth landing for the crown. So they're my three picks on who's looking well-placed right now. Right. And just uh, for the record, that's your seventh aviation analogy when talking about him. You, uh, you're doing well there. Yeah, you're almost on par with production. <laughs> I'm trying to get a free flight from Josh. If you're listening, Josh, please find me somewhere. Yeah, uh, we've got you one, two, Dubbo. So congratulations, George. All expenses paid. What about you, Haley? If you can't pick a sole survivor, maybe the top two or three you think are going to be there at the end? I agree. It's really hard right now. Lots of people are playing really well. I've got my eyes on Chrissy. I think Chrissy has lost Croc, but that can be, it might be beneficial going into the second half of the game. Chrissy isn't your typical challenge beast, but that also means Chrissy won't be a threat in the second half of the game, but has great social bonds. So I'm interested to see what happens with Chrissy going forward. Obviously, he's shown she can find an idol. Maybe she'll find another one. One of the boys, Jesse and, and his brother, Geordie, are playing really well. Like Geordie figured out they had the idol. Jesse's got a great relationship with. Sam, I think, I think those boys are both really well-placed and also good athletes. So let's see what happens with them. And finally, Mark is playing really well. Like he's really well shielded with his tribe um, of, of strong boys. He's got Sam who's still there. He's an idol. 
and he's shown some really good strategy and just just clever subtle moments like I remember when he was talking with the boys and they were trying to make a strategy but then he said everybody just laughs so no one thinks that you're talking strategically I'm like that is good I'm going to write that down in my notebook of ways to play in the future so yeah they're my ones I'm watching for this into this merge yeah, I think that foursome of Jesse, Geordie, Sam, and Mark, I've got my eye on that power foursome. Um, particularly Sam, I feel if I had to have a winner pick right now, I'd probably go with Sam. I just think that she's got the shield of Mark. She's physically pretty strong. She's got great connections and she's pretty much been running a lot of the game. So if that continues, she's in a really, really strong spot. Um, and then I'd say Geordie as well. Like I think he's really emerged in the last couple of weeks after the swap. I think he's got massive relationships. Um, I think that there are physical threats around him where somehow he's maybe like one of the least physical of that group, but just because that group is like male Adonis's. So I think that he's in a good spot and even Jesse has been taking more heat than him. So if someone kind of needs to be sacrificed from the group, maybe it will be Jesse who's been just a little bit more vocal and Geordie can make it to the end. So I'm looking at those four and those two specifically. There you go. I'm surprised Carr didn't get a look in there. I think he's a bit of a dark horse when it comes to challenges. He probably doesn't have that physical presence, but he's got some mental toughness. So I'm going to put some of my hard-earned dollars behind him. All right, that's it from us. But make sure you're tuning in and watch Australian Survivor Blood versus Water this Sunday night at 7.30 on 10, or you can also check it out on 10 Play On Demand. And you can see us and listen to us, Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. Our next ep is going to drop straight after episode 15 for all your insights and deep dives into what's happening on the show. Okay, don't miss the next episode. We've got lots more exclusive blood versus water content only right here on the Australian Survivor Talking Tribal podcast. Thanks for listening to Australian Survivor Talking Tribal and Network 10 podcast. 